and gentlemen, it is me, Sam Gilstrap. The spring break bonanza continues here on the Ghost Lights. Yeah, it does. My rap port isn't working. Sadness, because I turned off all the volume. <laughs> Yay! All right. Technology and, and live recordings. That's right. We don't edit here, folks. So... You only get one chance to do this right. It's like the Daffy Duck um, big trick. Like you, if yes. all from now that it's like it's yeah. It's like my Monday. It's a day just like this. Oh right, your mm -hmm. video series. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, so, ladies and gentlemen, that is the voices of Andrew and Kelly Ulanov. Hi. Nice. Hi everybody. Good evening, mm. afternoon, mm. good morning. The the whenever you're listening. The to sultry this. dulcet tones. Oh man, she's she's she gives good voice. Well, I do it all day long. Mm. Oof. <laughs> that is. I'm a receptionist. Get your mind out of the gutter. Ew, that's good podcast. <laughs> oh, good squishies. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> oh, guys, uh, really excited mm. to have you both on. This is the Ghost Lights podcast where we. Where we sit down, we talk to local actors here in Colorado. Eventually, local will mean nation and then worldwide. But we're getting you in on the ground floor because, damn it, you two are awesome. Well, thank you, Sam. Thank we're you, glad Sam. To be here. We're really glad to be here. Definitely. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you can follow us on Podbean or iTunes. Subscribe and like us with that five-star rating ASAP just because um, I think it helps. Um, also, if you want to know, hey, where's that cool intro music coming from? I didn't make it myself, folks. It's the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. The song is War. Hit them up. iTunes, buy the track. I think it's like a buck twenty-nine, and it's a great song. All their stuff is really kind of new and jazzy, and no vocals unless they bring in a special special guest. So it was really cool. It was like it started out like I was expecting. Because I heard it before, but I was expecting, like, Forsooth, my king, wherefore dost thou? Because it's got the... Da, 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 da. I feel it like does. it's going to... Standards and horses are going to come in. But then it evolves into a theme music for, like, a 70s cop show. It does. Right? Yeah. Uh, I would my... like to see that show. Mm -hmm. The 70s cop show? Yes. Okay. Ooh. I, I like SWAT. It. SWAT. It'd yes. be... The original. The original SWAT? Yeah. I was, th I was thinking it would be like Sam Sammy and Hooch. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and Hooch, Hooch is, is a fat, angry, angry, bitter um, black guy. And then I am like, and he just keeps making like racist jokes about me being the only Native American on the force. Nice. But he doesn't see that he's the only black guy on the force. Oh. So that's where the comedy comes in. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. You've got backstory on this. Yeah, I can tell. really. That's like social commentary through laughter. It is. Right? It, it doesn't happen often. But, um, you know, when you, can, when you can make them laugh and then cry about the injustice in the world, you're doing mm. something right. Mm. Huge. Mm. Huge mm. things. Huge things. Mm. By the way, Hooch, also very huge. Right, that's what you said. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I mean, he's huge. Right. Huge he's, Hooch. He's huge Hooch. Huge Hooch. Huge Hooch. Huge That's perfect. That's like, what is it? Irish wristwatch. Irish wristwatch. <laughs> he's huge really hooch. into warm-ups these days. I am. Guys. Like, really into Well, it. just finding little things that you normally say in everyday life that then you're like, wow, that's fun to trip over. And then, mm. so you try it. Like, huge Hooch. Huge. See, I can't even. Huge Hooch. Huge Hooch. Huge hooch. 
like that's going to warm up your your lips a lot. I can feel it. Mm-hmm. You do that for 20, 30 seconds before a show. You've got lips are on fire. Yes, mm, exactly. Yeah. Please stop kissing. Guys. Sorry. No, it's sorry. Totally fine. I'm it, sorry. You that's, can all okay. you want after the fact. Oh, right. Okay. Very good. Um, just because. I'm alone. It's just gonna be no, weird if I'm fun. watching. No, I don't want to. Yeah, exactly. It's so long yeah. periods of silence. Yeah, if that if you do hear the silence at home, I'm crying. <laughs> they're enjoying it themselves. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So that's what's happening. I do a lot of silent cries on this podcast. Really? No, no. It's, it's always a great time here at the Ghost Lights Podcast. I love the <laughs> uh, the title, mm. and but I want to ask you why, even though. This is ostensibly your podcast yes. interviewing, quote unquote, mm. us. But I have a question for you, which is, why did you choose that name? It's, I mean, it's it's a theatrical, the, the ghost fight is cool and everything like that, but did you have some sort of connection to that image or that idea of a single light bulb on a stage? Or I, That has always been my favorite superstition. Um, it's mm. not all theaters practice leaving a ghost light on, mainly because I mean, we've all worked throughout Colorado, like... Some of them don't need it. There's no ledge that someone's going to walk off. Right. Yes. Like, I mean, if you're at the old Spark Space on Santa Fe, mm-hmm. you're not... You're going to walk into a wall. You're going to walk into a wall. Yeah. And if you did that, you you were dumb enough to... Walk into a wall. <laughs> walk into a wall. Because you can see the lights yes. through the windows that are yes. right there. But yeah, that's what did it for me. It, 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 the idea of we were leaving something on to help each other out mm. like it, that, that's what that's what really did it for me cool so when I at least in terms of why I like that superstition when I came up with the idea to interview my favorite actors around town it was really to get their advice talk shop and have them leave something on for me and our listeners great yeah I cool. mean that's really what I love it yeah I love it yeah. I love it appreciate it yeah well we're without Further ado, and I and I love the banter, but uh, we're here for a reason. Andrew, this is an intervention. <laughs> for what? You eat too many peeps. For I hate peeps. <laughs> I I have it. It's one of those things, like Moby Dick, where maybe I need to go back to it every five to seven or eight years. No, peeps are terrible. That I tried a long time ago, and I'm thinking maybe they are perennially I changed terrible. Enough. Are they? Yes. Okay. Because uh, and I, I like tell. marshmallows. I know. I know, I but it's been a long time. Not peeps. Mm, because you coat, you coat them in that weird sugary thing, the the yellow feathers, I guess. They I don't, uh, I don't know yeah. what it is, but it's been a long time since I've tried one. So I guess, but I'm going to trust my wife and yeah, is, avoid that. Uh, always has my best interest at heart. Absolutely, because that's what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, that's true. But uh, so yeah, okay, I'll stay away from peeps. I did, however, interestingly enough, just come across Moby Dick in the library last night, <laughs> and wow. so I I picked it up and I was like, and I just started thumbing through it, and I was like, I don't want to. God, it's like I don't want to read sixteen pages about various kinds of knots that they tie at sea. But then what? I was like, it's I was riveting. Looking, <laughs> I'm sure it is it's in an allegorical context, but mm. I just have never been able to get there. I'll give it another shot. I just read Crime and Punishment a while ago and loved it. Dr. Oh. Zhivago. Dr. Zhivago um, was a book before a movie? Oh, yeah. What? Yes. Yes. No, no, that thing doesn't happen Yes. No, it's true. Just like Police Academy 4. That was... Do not laugh. That's a great book. <laughs> Are you kidding me? 
Are you kidding me? Oh, man. Yeah, oh exactly. God. No, that scene, we were talking about laughter through tears yeah. and tears through laughter. That scene when Hightower is there with his little don't daughter. You, don't you make, and he's like, spoiler alert, he learns that it's actually not his daughter. I know! Oh, my God. And then he cries, but he's like, I still love you. It doesn't matter. And then he makes that weird noise with his voice because yeah. he's the... He's Sound the guy that does that, right, that, yeah. No? no? My wife's looking at me like I'm making some sort of horrible dad joke or something, so... I have nothing to add because I've not seen Police Academy 4 or Reddit. <laughs> I don't like Russian literature, and I've never tried Moby Dick, so... Yeah. I'm sort of out right now. Okay. Oh. All right. Sorry. We'll you, move on to. We'll, we'll move. On, we'll move on. Then moving to, on to the real thing. Yes. Um, I'm sorry we did that to you, Kelly. Yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't it's okay. I'm not uncomfortable with it. Okay. No, good. Okay. okay. Good. All right. Well, well, then in that case, let's get really uncomfortable. <laughs> um, hey, you two, theater acting. How'd you get into that thing? <laughs> oh, no jokes. Question. Keep it clean. <laughs> Uh, am I starting? Sure. Ladies first. Um, let's see. I don't know. I was always um, I was always kind of goofing around, but then in junior high, it became clear that I was never going to be an athletic personality. Mm. So I quit that, and I had an extra class that I needed to fill up, and I took theater arts, because why not? That was in seventh grade, and then because I lived in Texas where everything is a competition there was a speech and debate tournament that I was able to go to, and I did poetry interpretation. In fact, I read The Midnight Ride of Paul Revere, was my choice, Longfellow. And uh, I saw that, Andrew. I saw your I face. I didn't do anything. And uh, <laughs> anyway, I won. What? I won first place in poetry interpretation. I do not know how many children were there. Oh. I was in seventh grade. Right. Um, but so there were several different schools. Yeah, we'll say and at least 150. I'm going to go with 2,000, okay. but, you know, in between. And so I suddenly thought, well, maybe I'm good at this. Hmm. And then I took theater arts again the next year, and then that was it. It was nice. over. My When I was in eighth grade, we did a production of Our Town. I played Mrs. Gibbs. It was great until the second act when no one knew their lines. <laughs> Because eighth graders not interested in memorizing lines, Mm-mm. but no. it was you know, and that was it. I was hooked, and that's what I've been doing ever since. That's fantastic. I didn't. Mm. I, that's really cool. It started like that in, in a classroom setting. Like for me, it was always um, find the easiest way out of school. <laughs> Literally, the <laughs> easiest way out of school and get an A at, at, while you're doing it. And then theater was like, I'm pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, at least in a school setting. Um, once you get out of there, it gets a little tougher. Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. Nice. And but it also, the rewards are also greater. Yes, they are. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, sir? Um, well, I was always, you know, a little, like many of us, like a little ham, you know? No. Um, I remember, it was so funny, I was talking, I was talking about this backstage at Resolutions. Like, I remember... Having taking my grandfather's fedora, and I must have been, I don't know, six, seven, eight, maybe, maybe even less than that. But taking my grandfather's fedora and singing uh, "New York, New York," and like doing these kind of leg kicks, like Rockettes kicks or something like that, and you know, taking the hat off and kind of doing the jazz hands with it, and I wanna be a part of it. Um, <laughs> 
and I was talking about that backstage at Resolutions, and Scott McGregor said, "How did you not turn out gay?" <laughs> uh, I got for you, Scott. Because I dig. Yeah, I dig women. Mm-hmm. I dig this one. Um, so anyway, um, so I was always kind of a, a ham, um, and in third grade. There was a pageant that was going on, and for some reason, there was some time that needed to be filled. And so, um, I think it was Mrs. Koki asked me and a couple other kids who were, um, like, who sang uh, particularly loud. (laughs) Fancy that. Um, To write some sort of sketch or something like that, some five-minute thing. And so we wrote this take on Goldilocks and the Three Bears, and I played uh, the baby bear. I was always really short. I didn't. I was a really late bloomer. I didn't really even start growing until, I mean, I was under five feet until I was like a junior in high school. Um, yeah. Uh, and so I played the baby bear, and I wrote a joke in there. Some of you will remember this. This was thirty more than. 30 years ago, 35 maybe more. Um, but there was an ad campaign for stick-ups, you know, the odor deodorizers, like the room deodorizers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the tagline on every ad was, this is a good place for a stick-up. And then, boom, then they would stick it on the wall. And, and I wrote this joke, and I can't even remember what it was, but something was really, really stinky. Maybe it was my father's fur, because mm-hmm. I was a baby bear or something like that. And I said, this is a good place for a stick-up. And I had just this little piece of paper, and I stuck it on the wall and got this huge laugh from the entire, uh, you know, kindergarten through fifth grade. Um, I don't know, a couple hundred kids. And the feeling was just like, it was electric. I mean, it was this thing where, I mean, it, I, I, I have to cop to the fact that it there was an egotistical piece to it that was like, wow, getting, wow, this is fucking cool I can make all these people laugh that's amazing Mm -hmm. and then there was also another piece where this is going to sound really corny and I didn't even realize this until years and years and years later when I was thinking about it but that everyone in the room was on the same page Mm -hmm. for a moment just in terms of a creative endeavor or in terms of everybody coming together in that one moment and I was like wow there's something about that for sure mm-hmm. and then I did uh, I did some school plays after that and then this is a much shorter story but when I was it would have been I was in sixth grade so just the three years later uh, my grandparents took us to London um, which was really great and I saw Tim Curry as the Pirate King in wow. the Pirates of Penzance wow. and that kicked my ass and I was like that I want to tell stories mm-hmm. and I want to I want to be an ass kicker like that it was it was a phenomenal performance and it was a great show and um, and so those two things together are really what kind of lit the fire in me and from there on out I mean you know it was taking classes and doing school plays and going to school going to college going to workshops going to all sorts of stuff nice. yeah Kelly when you were doing your thing in Junior high. Well, was did you have a similar rush? Absolutely. Um, in knowing that everyone, everyone in the room, is focused and hooked on 
the story that you are telling. Mm. Um, whether or not, and I, I don't, that does sound egotistical, but we're all actors. We, we that, get it. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm an actor who has his own <laughs> podcast. I understand. Right. You get it, Sam. Yeah. We're you talking about, I'm basically, indeed. indeed. We're basically just doing this so I can be like, oh, right. yeah, tell me more about right. theater. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Wow. Wow. I don't know why to laugh maniacally. If you could see the gesture that Sam was just making, it was, you, it, can you all would imagine not that. watch the podcast. I was making an inflatable balloon animal. Yes. <laughs> yes, he was, mm-hmm. clearly. Is an inflatable no, but... balloon redundant? Uh, yes. Okay. Yes, it is. Sorry, I cut you off. Not at all. I think that's an important point to make. Mm. Because yes. I've, Good. Yes. for Good. years it's bothered me. Inflatable right. balloon. Yeah. Right. It's not right. It's like assless chaps. Right. It's. I mean, yeah. it's fun to say, and it's better. But chaps. And where? Of course. But chaps. I mean, you say chaps. You're. You say assless. Mm-hmm. Right. So anyway. <laughs> but yes, there is something about being in a room and having everybody focused on the same story, yeah. and everybody, um, whether it's focused on you or someone else who's on the stage at the moment. But everybody, like you were saying, coming together and being on the same page for this moment, and and being a part of this story, whether it's audience on stage, backstage. It's it is. It's a rush. It's mm-hmm. a complete rush, and it's. Um, it, I feel completely me, and yet at the same time I'm somebody else. So that's, a that's, lovely juxtaposition. That's fantastic. Do you, have you felt that the those shared experiences as you moved on in your career have gotten fewer and far between, or have they evolved in terms of how you feel them or experience them yourself? Yeah, they've definitely evolved. I don't think they've gotten fewer and far between. No. I think because it happens every single time <clears throat> I step on stage. It happens every... And, th- and that doesn't matter if it's a reading, if it's a rehearsal, if it's an audition, if it's an actual production. Every time you step on stage, you are connecting with something bigger than yourself. And I will absolutely admit, because there is... You're, you're right, Kel, and we all know this, and you've got your own podcast and things like that, and I've done solo shows a couple of times... And there is definitely, I mean, we are, just like everybody is in the world, but actor is a very weird animal, Mm -hmm. you know? And the things that we put ourselves, like going in and talking for two minutes nonstop to impress upon someone that you are the right puzzle piece for their upcoming endeavor Mm -hmm. is a weird fucking thing to do. Like, and and we do that. Like, so... Um, it's like speed dating. It's just yeah, oh, right or what? Yeah, yeah. It is, kind but of... what with more at stake or or less maybe? No, absolutely. How There's more are. at stake, right? So anyway, uh, there is that sense though. There is the egotistical sense too of like everybody's watching me, you know, mm-hmm. and that sense of that sense of a whole bunch of people trusting you to lead them somewhere mm-hmm. um, is a very powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is absolutely that piece of it, but I think as you age and you realize and you get less and you have less and less to prove, you get to connect more and more to the fact that it is an endeavor where everybody's on the same page and it's not about you. It's not, you know, people don't. I've been saying this a lot lately. It's like somebody didn't, people don't write plays so that we can be good. People don't write plays so that an audience can go, 
God, Sam, you were fucking amazing in that. And it really, that's not why people write plays. People write plays because they want to tell a story. And we get to be the channel. Every time I step on stage, I am, it, it's amazing that we get to do this. Yeah. It is fucking amazing. And we're so lucky every time we step on stage that we get to do this thing. Um, so I don't think it's that, that charge and that, dare I say it, spiritual experience has lessened at all since third grade for me. Um, no, but the way in which it's evolved, and I know, Andrew, you, you and I have had this conversation before, is that the more I master this craft, the more I can hold in my head all at the same time. I can be completely in the moment with the person I'm sharing the scene with. Mm -hmm. And yet I can also have part of my actor brain at the back making sure that I'm that I'm open and that the blocking is correct. Yeah. And then I can also have the other part of my head in the back that's Kelly that's like, oh God, I can hear that woman coughing in the fourth row. And there's so many things that I can hold in my head now mm -hmm. that I didn't, you know, when I first started. Yeah. And so that is that's part of the evolving. I think that that is, again, exactly part of the evolving and the things that you can't teach mm. that you can only get through experience because when we're young and we're out there on stage so much of our concern is about how we are coming off to the audience <laughs> oh, so much of our concern is about how it's going to look or are they are they you know how am i going to affect them mm -hmm. and that's just i mean that, that's where you start it's a very you know you're performing for people um and so you're very concerned with how you look. And, you know, it's one of the things that I love about really great actors is the sense of vanity and the ability to completely let go oh. of that vanity. Yes. Like when you see somebody on stage who is just a fucking mess, yeah. you know, and then you see him at a function like a few nights later and they look fucking fantastic because fashion is the goddamn motherfucker. Hell yes, it is. And Hashtag. to see people... Um, to see actors do that, to see them, you have to be willing to go there. You can't give a shit what you look like. Mm. And so, but when you're young, you care about that so much. And of course, I mean, even when you're old, you know, you, you care about that so much. Mm. Um, but with more experience, you are able to let go of that more and more and hold four or five different things in your mind at once. You know, I, I love getting lost in the character. I love being in the moment and having a moment on stage with my partner or partners that is entirely about the moment of the world of that story. But then there's also all those wonderful times where you're thinking those things, where you're like, you're, you're there, and at the same time you're looking at the person, you're like, as Andrew, I'm like, God, I'm really fucking glad I get to work with that person that's so awesome <laughs> and then there's the actor that is like I hope that stage manager remembered to fucking leave that thing in the right place this time and then there's the other piece that's like god oxygen machines I get it lady you have to breathe but why do you bring that to the theater you know all of these little things going on at the same time um, so while it evolves the feelings the abilities also evolve yeah and then there are the times when it's completely unconscious and I come off stage and I don't even know if I said all my lines. Yeah. <laughs> those, are, those are the fun moments, aren't they? Oh, man. Yeah. Yes, they are. Yeah. Those total, like, the, I, I've had a couple of what I call blackout experiences 
Granted, you just come off stage and I'm like, I, I'm almost positive I was out there for 30 minutes. The Somebody time, would have said something, something if I missed something. Yeah, if I missed something, like, it, would have, it would have been like I would have been snapped out of it, of course, right? Right? <laughs> Am I? I'm Baby wearing pants. pants? <laughs> I don't remember taking those off. I don't remember what, I don't I don't remember what happened. Oh God! Oh, I, I was it. listening to you guys talk. It, it, it's it feels like you have a great reverence for what it is that you do. Oh my God! How do you do? You feel a responsibility. Yes as an actor to say respecting the craft respecting the material or is it a respect just to the audience to be as prepared as possible respect is a good word but also I would use the word service mm. I mean we yes, are that's a good word in service to something bigger than ourselves we're in service to the author's vision we're in service to the director's direction mm-hmm. we are in service to the story we are in service to the the audience, um, and 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 we're in service to ourselves. I mean, as this is a you know, as we make ourselves joyful, and as we do the things that we enjoy and that we get a charge out of, we do that for the rest of the world, and we bring that to the table, right? If you're a happy person and you're excited about what you're doing, that is going to permeate all over it's going to be a ripple effect right yeah and so there's that sense of service where it's like i get to go out there and fucking do that and have a blast and that is absolutely in service to myself but it still comes back to being being um you know being just one uniquely colored tile Mm -hmm. in a magnificent mosaic i feel like it's an overall respect for the art form uh, because this is not something that everyone can do. Mm-hmm. As much yeah. as as much as people would like to, you know, oh, yeah. be able to think they can, there are definitely people who can't. And that's that's you know neither here nor there with regard to um, what we're talking about. Yeah. There's but there's a respect for this art form that we are privileged to be able to take part in and and share this magic because there is. Theater is magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, being able to transport an entire house full of people to a different place, mm-hmm. using yourself as as the vessel is. How can you not have respect for that? Mm-hmm. It's I. It's I, sacred. Yeah, it is. It's sacred, and it has been since like the earliest times when we were sitting in a circle around a fire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's always been a reverence for storytelling and for. The, how that keeps the history alive, and mm-hmm. how that reflects the society that you live in. Wow, that got away from me. No, absolutely. No. I mean, and that's. I mean, these conversations sometimes get a little high-handed, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've all been doing this for long enough, and we've all studied enough to, like, these are actually thoughts and views and emotions that we have. Yeah, you know, that's like. This is very genuine stuff. And so I think when you start talking about theater and the craft and things like that, um, you get a little, it gets a little spacey and a little abstract. And maybe, I I don't know, high-handed isn't the right word. But, I mean, I I certainly don't want to come across as snooty, but at the same time... Yes, he does. We know... (laughs) But he loves to be snooty. I don't love to be snooty. He loves to be snooty and drop the F-bombs. I do say fuck a fair share, 
but I don't love to be snooty, do I really? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Okay, God, I hope not. I try and, you know, it, it's a fun, again, it's that line between vanity and, and, and letting go of your vanity, you know? I like to go out there and be an ass kicker and be confident in what I'm doing and know that I'm good and that I'm telling the story well. Yeah. And at the same time, you know, I can't force anybody to go on any ride with me. I'm not any better or worse than anybody else who's walking down the street or even as far as like what is a good actor or a bad actor just because I'm quote unquote better than someone mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that I'm a better person than them or anything like that you know I think the the older I get value judgments just start to seem like so much bullshit yeah. you know it's not about what's good or bad it's so subjective it's mm -hmm. like what do I like you know, yeah. what don't I like? I think me and you, Andrew, and I think I've had this conversation with Kelly as well, that in terms of value judgments, this idea of whatever it is that we're doing, we can get right. Mm. As opposed to just understanding <laughs> that we're there living in this particular moment and we just we just experience it because as humanity, as, as Andrew does on a day-to-day -day basis, as Kelly does, any given moment is just an experience. Like even if you've got like a task, like I've got a spreadsheet to do, uh, I've got to take the kids to lunch, or you, uh, whatever. I'm going to the grocery store. You might have a list to follow off of that, but you're still just doing your best. Mm -hmm. And there's no the idea that there is always a set end game to every experience, like how it should always taste and feel, and so on and so forth. I think what I've learned is being through being an actor is that. That that's not always the case. Like it, it, it's just a happening, and if you commit to that, just to that, and not force the audience to go with you on a ride, because I think I think that's a very great way of putting it. So often, when an actor forces a moment on stage, like oh. to bring the laughs or to bring the pain, the audience feels jerked around. By Absolutely, that. Yeah. it's emotionally manipulative. Mm -hmm. I mean, Steel Magnolias is a great show, mm. right? It is one of the most emotionally blackmailing pieces of art that has ever been created. And rightfully so. I mean, the dude, I mean, it is, and everybody knows that when they're going into yeah. it. And so that's where, like, I don't mind that so much because you know Shelby's going to die. You know what? it's going to be a drag. Yeah, oh shit. Spoiler alert. Sorry, Shelby's the dog. It's oh, fine. Okay. Don't worry about it. It's um, even worse. I hate it no, when the dog dies. Yeah, the dog dies in the first five minutes. Kill so the it's people. Fine. No, it's fine. Give me the dog. No, it's it's. Uh, there's no. I was an Independence there. Day, and when that dog jumped into the little side closet, oh, the closet, I, into into what was yeah. it? Vivica Fox's arms. I was like, Rover. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, because dogs don't have any agenda. No, they're just um, amazing. Yeah. So, or rather, all of their agenda is right out front. They're not able to hide anything. Yeah, anyway, they've been neutered. Well, even then. Um, everybody knows what's going to happen in that play. And so you're going on that ride um, and knowing full well where that is going to land. Mm -hmm. And that's, as in terms of a story being told, in terms of somebody writing something, I don't see any problem with that. But as an actor, if I'm... If I'm doing a sleight of hand with the audience in mm -hmm. terms of like trying to lead them down some garden path to make them feel something, I don't, I, 
that's just going to take me out. That's mm-hmm. just going to completely take me out of of the moment of paying attention to what's going on right across from me. Well, what we're there to do is tell the truth. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Stand on that stage, look your partner in the eye, and tell the truth. Right. And that's... I think that that then ceases to be emotionally manipulative and just becomes the story. Absolutely. It's what we talk about all the time is when we see a, like a really good performance, the actor was never in the way. Yeah. You know, yes. you, the, the actor was bringing everything that they have to bear mm-hmm. to go out there and kick ass as an actor, but they're never getting in the way. You know, mm-hmm. one of the examples, like Macbeth to me is like, there's so much in that play that I laugh at. That's mm-hmm. just funny. So if I see a production of that play where they're trying to make me feel whatever, like some sort of angst or some sort of power struggle or something like that, that's just going to put me off. I'm like, don't take me in that direction. Let me... Let me get there on my own. Mm-hmm. This is another. This, this is another thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately over the last couple of years with audiences is and theater in general. Um, you know, people come to the theater to have an experience, mm-hmm. but that doesn't necessarily mean that they want to be challenged. You know, a lot of times they <laughs> they come to the theater <laughs> yeah. to have an experience and they want their hand to be held. Mm-hmm. I do not want my hand to be held as an audience member. Mm-hmm. And as an actor, I love the idea of always staying, you know, the, the idea of keeping the ball in the air, always staying one step ahead of the audience, you know. And as an audience member, that's what I love too. You don't know where you're going to land like you were talking about, Sam, just previously. It's You don't know how it's going to end up being wrapped up or if it is, you don't even know what the color is going to be at the end. Because you're so involved in the moment mm-hmm. that you're not thinking, you're not even thinking about, oh, where are they taking me? Because you're so involved in being taken. Mm. And if I'm trying to make the audience feel a certain way, then they're not going to be involved in being taken. They're going to see Andrew, oh, he's making me feel a certain way, whether they realize it or not. How, how does that impact your individual processes, <clears throat> that, that belief? in the work that you do, does it affect it? Um, yeah, absolutely, it affects it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The way you, yeah. Yes. Um, I, I tend to be a very, uh, like, from the gut kind of centered actor. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not, I'm not generally really heady, and I don't spend a lot of time um, analyzing like scene structure and all of that mm-hmm. I'm it everything that I'm putting out there is generally coming directly from like my gut and my emotional center that's that's the kind of actor that I am yeah. uh, so I tend to think that that does make me fairly truthful on stage because I'm not, I mean, if I'm, if I'm reacting from my gut, I'm not taking the time to think about how this is going to affect and can I, can I pull tears from them? Can I make them laugh in this moment? Mm-hmm. I mean, that being said, comedy is, is a more uh, cerebral enterprise in my experience mm. as opposed to drama, which 
it's a lot easier to come from your gut with a drama, whereas comedy, you do have to think about the timing and think about what's oh. coming where and, and well, all of those moments. There's so. a choreography to yes, comedy exactly. that is necessary in order for it to work. Yeah. And that is a very technical thing. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's scientific in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like Absolutely. Yeah. Mathematical almost. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was doing a You on the Moors now up for the mm-hmm. Academy. Yeah, yeah, we saw that. Yeah. And uh, Brian Cusick and uh, Jason Maxwell were working out a specific moment. And it was throughout the process, even after we opened up the show, talking about the timing before the delivery of the line. And then like two weeks into it, they, they hit it. And they're like, yeah, that's what it is. It's that tenth of a second before that, and then the look, and mm-hmm. you're like, holy shit! Like, and and then to watch them do it the next night with their new their new equation at play, and you're like, they're absolutely right. Yeah. Holy fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that 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 is, it's it's weird how I mean, honesty always brings out the best comedy, and yet you still need to have yes a system in place. Absolutely. Yes, you do. It's a very fun, difficult thing to do. Comedy is hard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's a blast. Yes. It's a blast. Yes. You know? And... Well, because there's structure and abandon in the same space. Yeah. Which is crazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, how... How how do you balance that? That's Mm -hmm. the question of... That's that's the question. It's like a ballroom. Ugh. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The back of the McDonald's play place. Yeah. That's funny because I was thinking ballroom dance. But if you're thinking McDonald's, he's play thinking place, ball pit. Right. That's ball what pit. He was thinking, oh, ball which right. is a very different thing than a ball. Stupid room. Sam, come on. <laughs> I think both are appropriate. I think yeah. so. Ballroom, ball pit. Thanks. Goodness. How about a ball pit in a ballroom? Whoa. Now, exactly. sir, you just blew my mind. I know exactly. I'm, I'm, I like synthesis. <laughs> I like taking things. You know, that was a chocolate in my peanut butter moment right there. Yeah, you just made magic, baby. I did. Yeah. Yeah. How's for you, sir? How does it affect your process? Um, I try to. You know, it's that it's that old saw of making sure that you don't judge your character, mm-hmm. um, and make any sort of commentary on what their story is, and just do the best you can to be honest with it. Yeah. Because if I'm making commentary or um, judging the character, then I feel like I've already stepped in the wrong direction because I'm thinking from an audience point of view and I'm thinking from a point of view of this character is X value judgment. Mm-hmm. And if I commit to that, then I'm, then I'm lost because a, that's going to completely. I'm. Uh, that is going to be my goal. I'm not going to be paying any attention to the person who's across from me on stage, looking me in the eye. I'm not going to be paying any attention to being in the moment. I'm going to be paying attention to how do I get this value judgment across, right? Mm-hmm. And that's uh, so. In terms of the process, and and you know, the the example that I have is when I played. This happened with Steve Heidebrecht when I was in August Osage County last year. And it also happened when I played Colonel Jessup in A Few Good Men, which is um, I went out on stage the first night with the house uh, for A Few Good Men on opening night. Mm-hmm. And there were people who audibly, I don't think anybody hissed, but there were, when I said certain things, certain lines that Jessup has, mm-hmm. you could hear audible reaction from the audience like oh my god i can't believe he said that and shit like that and i came backstage and i was like 
what the fuck are they talking about? I don't understand. Why don't they like me? Mm. What's the problem? And they didn't like me because Andrew had followed through the process. Jessup is right in his mind. Yeah. Everything he thinks is correct. I'm not worrying about looking A or B or C to the audience. And so that sort of self-confidence to the point of blindness, talking about Jessup now, is not going to be the most attractive thing to an audience. You know? And so that idea of doing the best I can to um, just play the truth of the character without worrying about is it good or bad? Value wise, yeah. is he being is he moral? Is he sinning? Are his are his ideas correct? Are his ideas incorrect? Everybody's ideas in their own life are correct. This is another thing that's very difficult to do as you get older in theater is to stay in beginner's mind. Right? Mm -hmm. Is to constantly come back to the idea that my idea is certainly not the only idea, yeah. and oftentimes not the best idea. In terms of how to pursue a scene or how to, you know, build a character or any or anything like that, mm. um, so to stay open to that is important as an actor. But we all, as we move through the world, we have our ideas that we believe in, mm. right? And and it's the same thing for Jessup. Like the ideas that he has, that is his reality, and to him, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. Yes, Santiago died, and his death probably saved lives. I mean, that monologue yeah. is, I mean, that's it. Laid it out right there. He believes that. Mm -hmm. This one death, there was nothing wrong with that one death. It's regrettable that it happened, but it probably saved lives in his mind. It's collateral damage. Exactly, in his world. Yeah. And so, and we all have that. Like, in Andrew's world, it would be, I don't, I honestly could not make that decision one way or the other. I have no fucking idea if that death was collateral damage or not. But, you know, I have all of my ideas that I take to the that I take out into the world. Mm -hmm. Every character that you play has their ideas, yeah. and you can't judge those. They're the hero in their own story. Exactly. That idea really helped me recently in my most recent project because my character that I was playing in Guards of the Taj is not the nicest, or not not nice isn't the right word. It, he's just not the most lovable person mm -hmm. by his actions, mm -hmm. but he's sticking to a script that he believes will lead to a positive outcome the entire time. Mm -hmm. And I it, and, and and that's the way I think if you especially got a good playwright, every character is written like that. Mm -hmm. Yes. They're all on the right direction to whatever end they're trying to get to and if you judge that at all, th then you don't get there. Mm -hmm. And at the very least, it's a send up and the audience sees right through it. Absolutely. And this is also a great place to get back to the basics that is so easy to forget mm. in terms of picking the scene apart or building a character or the theory of acting. Going back to those basic words, motivation, mm -hmm. intention. What does, what does this character want mm. in this situation? Bang. There's no judgment there. It's not, what does this character want? And what do you think about that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not that at all. Or what is this character's intention? And do you think that's a good idea? No. It's like, what does this person want? Yeah. Bang. That's it. It comes... Because we. It, it's great to talk about all this stuff. And I love theorizing. And obviously, yeah. everybody... I imagine everybody who knows me at all knows that I love to talk. What? But... 
But then you get right down to it. So much of the time it needs to come back to those really basic things. What does the character want? What's the action that they're going to take, you know? Mamet has, talks about the, no action should be more difficult than open a window, which is a great thing to strive for and a very difficult thing to do when you're putting together a character who has a huge emotional arc. Mm. What's the action of, uh, you know, what's the action of, um, God, I can't come up with any character. Roma? You know, what's the action? Of, absolutely. What's the action of Roma? Mm-hmm. Open a window? No, that doesn't do it. And then you say, okay, his action is to sell a house, mm-hmm. right? So it seems to me, and cor- I mean, I don't know, is this right? It seems to me like Mamet would say, and not that Mamet is the be-all, end-all, but I think he says a lot of things that are really on point. Mamet would say, selling a house isn't necessarily as clear as opening a window. Would you agree with that, Kel, Sam? You know, ma'am, it's not my cup of tea. I, I know, may be that's doing why one I'm of his shows you. this fall, but he's not yeah. my cup of tea. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I am not about theorizing. I'm not. I'm not into talking about like the, the theory of things, and I don't read a lot of acting theory books and mm-hmm. all of that stuff, because again, I find that it clutters things for me mm. as opposed to makes yeah. things clearer. Mm-hmm. And if you want a simple action, as simple as opening a window. You're gonna figure it out if you, if you have yourself in the mindset of that character. It's gonna, it's gonna come out for you. Mm. If mm. you know, if you have any amount of experience or craft or whatever, that's going to come out for you. Yeah, I think too. Just to elaborate on the mammoth's thought process in terms of him using those words, it's every action. Say an example of selling the house is so natural to Roma that it is as easy as opening a window. Oh, very good. That it's, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. So yeah. every character, if, they're, if they're <clears throat> are doing, if they are you know, a taxidermist or an embalmer, all of that stuff is second nature. Right. They're all experts. Right. I think those are the, those are the most compelling characters uh, that I, I think that they have a specific knowledge or even if it's just knowledge of self and they they hold fast to that I mean obviously the ones that are challenging themselves and trying to evolve those are the ones you want to see but in terms of like an action or a a career that that's something that they do all the time Mm -hmm. and it's while it's interesting to watch unfold in that ease in which they do it they they never get so heady about it that it's like stop Move the latch, two hands at the base of the window, put it up, right. open up the, the curtains. The mechanics right. of yeah. it. Right. right. Yeah. Because yeah. you don't want to see that. Nobody really, nobody wants to see the mechanics of it. No. No. You just want to see the action. Exactly. Open the window and say the fucking lines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and that's what it comes down to, too. I mean, I, I am the opposite of Kelly. I mean, that's not to say I don't come from the gut a lot of ways, but I'm, I mean, just sitting here listening to this podcast, I mean, we've had this conversation for... Uh, for a decade um, in terms of how different we are uh, how we go about the craft of acting Mm -hmm. Um, I am you know yeah I will go all over it in my mind I will just and you get good enough at that that um, and it's exploratory and you think about this and you think about that 
And then the journey or the, the important thing becomes to let go of that so that you don't get in your own way. Mm-hmm. So that you are not thinking about it so intently that you're not paying attention to what's going on right across from you. Mm-hmm. You know, My favorite thing, and you know this, and other people that have worked with me know this, and some people, I imagine, I don't know, nobody's ever told me that this pisses them off. But I imagine it does. But some of my favorite stuff to do is brand new stuff during performance, Uh during the run of a show. Uh If it's honest, yeah, exactly. She's seen it a lot. (laughs) If it's honest and it's coming from an honest place, you know, fucking go, do it. If it doesn't work, okay, fine. That's one moment, you know, in the play and maybe you have not rang true. Mm -hmm. But I don't believe that you should be beholden to the first time you got something right. No. You know, I love that phrase, and I think that you are correct. Um, I have worked with you a number of times, and I do watch you do that, and I'm always fascinated by it. And because I don't, I don't do that. Once I've set something, it's generally fairly set for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Which is not to say that I can't react to what you're doing. Absolutely. Um, and it's but watching other actors that don't know you. <laughs> It's funny because they look shocked and confused and a little upset, and and you and I watch them grapple, and because they don't they don't know and trust you the way that I do. Mm. I mean, I trust you implicitly mm-hmm. on stage. Mm-hmm. You are one of the most trustworthy actors I have ever worked with, and also you tend to know a play backward, forward, sideways, upside down, around the corner, whatever you no, know it there. from. You know it front to back. So if you do something that is a surprise to the other actor and they are pushed back on their heels and don't know what's happening, you're still going to be in control. Yeah. So it's so you can do that kind of thing because you're going to be able to carry them if necessary if they are that thrown off. Hopefully they wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they would be, you know, <laughs> professional enough that they would be able to take what you're throwing them and play with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and part of that comes from, you know, improv background and... Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, yeah. And Trusting that, doing tons of improv yeah. work over the years. Yeah. Which is fun. And then I think the actor that shares the stage with an, another actor that is so free with certain moments is is got to say yes. It, especially just in general. Everything that's happening on stage, you've got to be open to. Absolutely. Even if it is the same thing, if it starts to feel by rote and you're expecting it, yep. then there's there's a separation that's happening to whatever it is that's unfolding. As long as you're just like, this is new, no matter what you do, it's new. I think you can really grow and explore something amazing every time. Well, yes, because it's a live art form. Yeah. That's what we do is live. It is not preserved for posterity. You have to be there to see it. Yeah. That gets back to the idea of service and respect as well. Mm-hmm. Because every night, even you're talking about, it is quote unquote rote. It does, you do say lines the same way yeah. many, many nights. And that's the rhythm of the play. And that is the currency of the play. Mm-hmm. That's the flow. That's the ride that you go on. But the audience is different every night. Mm-hmm. It's different every night. And that is 
a wonderful thing to be in service to this wonderful art form that you have no choice but to respect because it is different every single night it's not something um static it's not static exactly it's constantly in motion Mm -hmm. and um yeah and and i love that it's you know live music and and theater live theater are the only two art forms where the perceiver is a part of the creative process Mm -hmm. uh no what else i'm sorry but art like painting uh-huh. The perceiver is part of the creative process because everyone who sees a painting is going to see something different. Okay. You and I have viscerally different reactions to different paintings. Absolutely. But wouldn't you say, I mean, once the painting is done, it's done. The painter has stepped out of the picture. The painter has, but you said the audience, the perceiver. Right. Is part so, of the process. Exactly. There's not a perceiver in the artist's studio while they're painting, sitting there going, oh my God, or going, no. oh, or anything. The perceiver so the, is every single person who walks into the Louvre and looks absolutely, at Absolutely, but I'm talking about the process of creation. The painting has been created. It is there. And the audience is not in the painter's studio saying, oh my God, that brushstroke was amazing. Or I don't buy that palette knife at all. Okay. An audience comes into the theater. You're talking about live performance specifically. It's an art form. Yes. It is the only art form where the perceiver, the audience, is part of the creative process and part of the creative product. I, I still think that everybody that looks at a, at a piece of art, at a painting, at a sculpture, and has a visceral reaction is part of that creative process. Mm. Um, because it continues. Uh, it, and whether it's because it inspires that person to go and create something else, or whether it brings back a memory for them that then helps them open themselves emotionally in a different way. I mean, it's that's what art does. Would you say that that is what makes a really good painting is that it's not static? Yes. Like a piece of theater? Yes. Is that it is always in motion, even though it's two-dimensional and they're on a wall. It is in motion to different people in different ways. Yeah, so it's not I static. I mean, the first time I walked in and saw Birth of Venus on the wall in the Uffizi, I was so moved, I... I felt as though, I mean, I'd seen it in books. I felt as though I were seeing it for the first time and it it opened my heart, Mm -hmm. which is what art should do. It was not static It was not static at all. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. If you get a chance, go to Florence. See it. (laughs) You're going to love it. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Are we getting away from whatever you want to talk about, Sam? Absolutely not. Because this this brings up another thing that I love about theater and that's so important is... It, to me, is as as far as respect for it is also to realize that it is an art form, just like painting or writing or music or sculpting or dance, mm-hmm. and all of these things can inform each other, right? Just doing yes. like and and I've talked about this a lot, you know, like. Uh, just playing Oscar Wilde, just doing gross indecency. Mm-hmm. My, I have a very, when it gets away from me, I describe it as slashy um, style about me in terms of how my 
my presence on stage. Mm-hmm. It can be uh, like a Kandinsky painting, right? Which is not always necessarily angular and sharp, but it is very straightforward, mm-hmm. you know, and very much the colors and the lines that he uses um, later on as he developed his own real you know, sort of when you say Kandinsky, people think, oh yeah, that's what that looks like. For me, what was really important as Oscar Wilde was to be much more like Chagall, which is much more airy and has a lot more... Goats. Goats, yes, there are goats. (laughs) Absolutely true. Absolutely true. And goats... Floating goats. Floating goats, exactly, with love. And and those rich colors... See more art books. Yeah, man. Well, and that's what I'm talking about. Is it's like well, the, I think different art forms can inform each other and should inform absolutely. each other. And we as artists should not stay static in our own art form, but need to experience all kinds of art forms. Absolutely. I love seeing live dance. I love seeing live music. I freaking love going to museums and looking at what's on the walls. I you I'm, love a, I'm a reader. Novels. I've been a reader from you know as long as I can remember, and it's because they we. They all inform each other. I would not be the actor that I am today if I hadn't started reading when I was a very young girl and if I hadn't, you know, experienced the the music that I did when I, you know, hit my 20s and started going to concerts by myself and all, you know, and if I hadn't gone to see these great works of art all over the world. There, there's, there's such a wealth of information in all different kinds of art that can inform us as actors and it's so important to yeah. be open to that definitely yeah it, it, at the at certain I want I wanted to say at the base level I mean even for me like I get a playlist usually for every single one of the parts yes. I've ever gotten yes are, it, and if I don't actually hand make the playlist of music it's at least a three five songs a handful of songs mm-hmm. that I can go to on the drive up and yes. listen to on the drive back yes and totally. it just so it just it, it keeps me it gets me going in the right direction emotionally or just whatever and keeping those things. When I was working on Pittman Painters, seeing the paintings that our characters really actually painted was really informative it, from from a character development standpoint. Mm-hmm. Not because you saw the lev- the different level of skills that those, those Pittman were as painters. You saw what they felt. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you... So that opens you up. Like, I mean, I, I still have the, the Bedlington Terrier around the corner over here because James Floyd loved terriers, and that's the only thing he could think of, and it, it meant a lot to him. And when people didn't know it was a Bedlington Terrier, that sent him through the roof, and thusly, I understood that he loved it so much that how do you not know this? Mm. Like, I'm not the crazy one that's fucking there. <laughs> and and that's, that stuff is it, it's necessary in the exploration of a character. It, yes. And in the exploration of yourself as an artist, yeah. um, it's so important to continue to expose yourself to all forms of art and to get out into the world. Yes. And, you know, um, to go see theater, of course. Yeah. You want to go see theater. Um, and, and other mediums, acting uh, takes part in like television and movies. But... Yeah. It's so important to go out to museums and go see dance and listen to music and do all of those things because it's all it's, it's all grist for the mill. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. It's part of just we were talking earlier about it just being an experience. Mm-hmm. If you if you don't go out and experience something with a group of people, even if it is solo, 
you go you show up solo mm-hmm. to an art gallery how many times have you Kelly Andrew been walking into an art gallery by yourselves or you maybe you came together but you get split up because you want to see different things and then you walk up to a painting next to somebody you don't know and they're and you both are like wow yes yeah. and you have these connections these yeah. visceral connections which is what art does Definitely. in general and when you find somebody else who loves the same book that you love and has loved it for years and you have this deep connection and you talk about it with them and you watch their eyes light up yeah. and you you just you get it there's a and and that happens with with other artists and it also happens with just some some random person on the street mm-hmm. and and that's what I love so much it, about the arts the, and it goes back to that connection of everybody being on the same page uh-huh. you know um one of the things I think that's really important to remember about all this, and I'm so glad that we've gotten to a place where I can tell a story that brings us in, is the sense of whimsy. Mm. Because it's very easy to, we've been sitting here talking for about an hour, and it's all very, you know, it's, it's we're putting our, we're stringing our thoughts together, and it's all sounding, we take our art very seriously, yeah. um, hopefully without trying to take ourselves too seriously. But there is that sense of fun. There is that sense of whimsy. There is that sense to our art where, I mean, there are, you know, there's a certain truth when it's like you, you go out on stage and then like you were saying earlier, and then you come off stage and you're like, I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing. You know, I rehearsed this show for four weeks and we've been running for three and I have no fucking idea what I did out there on stage tonight. Oh, yeah. You know, um, and so the idea of not taking yourself too seriously. I went to the Rothko exhibit. Have I told you this? The Rothko exhibit at Dam. This was like two or three years ago, four years ago maybe. Um, and uh, Rothko holds a very special place for me. Uh, I was suffering when he. I went to a show of his in New York when I was suffering from some a really bad bout of depression. I've suffered from a couple of those, and I managed to get out of the house and to get up there. And it just because he suffered from depression too, and of course wound up committing suicide. And um, a lot of his bigger, the, the figure paintings that he painted later on in his life just spoke to me in such an intense way when I went and saw that. And I was in a very vulnerable place and I was in a place that was very open mm-hmm. to see them as such. And so flash forward 12 years or something like that, my, my life is vastly different. I'm here in Denver. I've been married to a wonderful woman for a long, long time. I have not... I, I've treated my depression successfully, and this Rothko exhibit comes up a dam, and I went back, and it was so beautiful, and I, I was able to touch base with the entire journey that I had taken since wow. I was that guy in Manhattan, and I'm sitting in the last room, and there's like a dozen, there were a dozen of his paintings or so, and the last room... There were a couple of them. One of them was just huge. One of the really big ones that's like 20 or 30 feet high and maybe 15, 20 feet wide. And it's one of the figure paintings where it is just, there's a there's a, a rectangle on top that's more squat and laterally lo- long. Mm-hmm. And then there's the one underneath it, which is long height-wise. And two different colors and just beautifully done the way I believe Rothko painted, which was beautifully. And I'm sitting there and I start crying and I'm having this experience that is just so beautiful. And this seven-year-old who's been brought there by his parents is coming and he sits down, not close to me, but on the same little couch thing. 
and I'm crying and I'm trying to not cry just like out loud so that I, you know, I'm not trying to stop my crying, but I don't want to disturb other people's experience. And so I pull it together a little bit and he's looking at it and I'm like, I just wanted to know. I was like, so what do you think? Mm -hmm. And he said, looks like a big refrigerator. It was fucking perfect to take myself out of it and to like, yes, every, you know, don't take yourself too seriously. It does look like a refrigerator. It totally does. And a lot of them do. And a lot of them look like television sets that are having blurry, you know, and things like that. But it's like to be taken down a peg like that Mm -hmm. and yet to, and I think this has to do with experience and age as well, is that we get to a point where we can be taken down a peg like that and yet not have it affect the validity of our own experience and not have it be something that we second guess ourselves with whatever experience we've been having because I still had that experience and telling the story again just going back and telling the story right now just is is beautiful and it was a it's you know um and then to have him say it looks like a giant refrigerator it was just it was great you know to make sure that that sense of whimsy stays with you mm-hmm. you know when, when you were talking retelling that story it reminded me of I mean the idea for me of whimsy before you even told me about the kid being involved it was like so much of what art does for me is take all my preconceived notions and my ego out of the way that established as I grew older it brings me back to being a kid mm-hmm. the, like the best stuff brings me back to being a kid absolutely so it, it's so cool to be in that emotional place to the almost uh, seeing your younger self seeing that picture for the first time and then have a kid just kind of come in and like just make it so light again absolutely and and that's and i was thinking of the word to deflate it but that's not the word you saying light is an even better way it's like letting it go you know because it didn't really deflate the experience for me at all it was still a very sacred experience it was still incredibly resonant for me Mm -hmm. but to have that little quip come from this child out of the mouth of babes yeah it was so beautiful yeah. you know and it is going back to the to the child it is learning how to shut off the inner critic um, you know yeah. what Kel it just it makes me think about how long it took me to be able to get back to a place of whimsy because like I told you when I started I started because I went to a competition yeah and that was a lot of what I did in high school because again Texas there's a lot of speech and debate competitions and it's a really big deal and I did a lot of them and so I learned in high school almost more than anything else I learned to walk into a room and be an ass kicker and intimidate people because you're being judged exactly exactly and so it took a very very long time for me to get past that I mean even in college I you know, I spent a lot of time thinking about being judged and trying to be an ass kicker and whatever. And so it took a long time for me to get back to being able to play well into my 20s um, before I stopped worrying about what people were going to think yeah. and just let myself let go. Nice. And a large part of that was you, hun. Like meeting you and like, you know, my heart opening up and, <laughs> oh goodness, I'm going to cry. You're Not a refrigerator, really. Andrew. 
Oh my god. Oh my god, you're a refrigerator. I love that. Okay, all right. You're a big warm refrigerator. Okay, fantastic. The engine is always running. Yes, indeed. Okay. I will say the both of you are ass kickers just naturally. There's a different level of power you both have on stage and just being people in general. It's always and when our paths first crossed, Kelly, there was um you were just like a magnet of I don't know. You were just so fucking new. <laughs> As I was out of college and just working in town, and like it, all my stuff was just young and wide-eyed. And when I met you, you felt it felt like I was dealing with like a pro for like the last thirty years because you were just so sitting in it. And then to work with Andrew and Lucky Guy, and yeah, you have an energy that at times feels like it's all over the place. And if you're an actor that isn't control enough of themselves, you can get eaten up by that. It just when say you experience a new moment tonight and you say something differently. Like if I'm not prepared, if I'm not in control of my own shit, that can be that can be daunting. But it's both refreshing in in you guys and to experience that in your mindsets about certain things, your belief systems is really cool. I'm glad that you were able to share those stories with me. It's and it's taken a it's taken years to develop the the craft and and these ideas and these practices. I was going to say theories, but that's practices yeah. because these are all of this stuff that we talk about that we've been sitting here talking about. This is and everybody out there who's listening to this, you have all of your theories and all of your experience and everything too. Absolutely. We all take that on stage <laughs> with us. Every time we step on stage, we take all of this stuff with us without having to think about it at all. Yeah. And so the more you talk about it and the more you're out there in the world, and I believe the more you read, the more you create, you just give yourself more and more and more. You make yourself a stronger and stronger channel yeah. and you take that with you every time you step on stage you can have confidence in that Absolutely. you know you take it with you without even thinking about it mm. well yeah this is an art form that continually um, grows you can you can continue to grow your entire career on stage Absolutely. all of the years that you spend doing this mm-hmm. you can you're just going to be able to keep growing yeah I've, I've always said that I'll be a better actor tomorrow than I was today. Mm-hmm. Sure. And it's just experiences. Where, I mean, while you may not be trying to become great, that might not be the, the focus of an artist to become great at it. You'll have more experiences. You'll have more knowledge. And that can thus infuse itself into the work and help that grow and blossom into something bigger than what it would have been yesterday. Absolutely. Yep. And I think the the idea, the word blossom and that idea of a rose doesn't think about being a great rose. Mm. A rose is just a rose. And so every time to be able to go out there and put yourself in these environments and it's important to surround yourself with people who are going to nurture you, mm-hmm. you know, and push you, um, you can become whatever blossom that is in that moment and perfectionism is irrelevant like that idea at all is completely irrelevant Mm -hmm. it's about commitment it's about commitment we talk about all this a lot at home as well nice yeah we've been having this conversation for for 12 years i should have just put a 
my recording device in your house for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. hmm. There'd be a lot of dogs talking. There would be uh, dogs talking. Dogs. Our dogs have voices. Well, yeah. some people have called me a dog, so it's okay. Well, right. yeah, at least you got me in the background. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is the part of the podcast yeah. where we send Andrew to another room and we ask questions to Kelly. No. <laughs> <But> no. <laughs> <laughs> What is the weirdest place you've ever made Whoopi? <laughs> exactly. On a train in Italy. Nice. On our honeymoon. With the door unlocked. Oh, was the door unlocked? It was unlocked. I forgot that part. Yeah. So. There you, go. there you go, guys. You wanted to know, or you didn't. <laughs> that, that, I know you do. That was, that was Andrew Riffin. Um, we'll go back and clean that up in post. Um, we can't. Uh, I know. It's, it's, it's there now. It's I don't have the. T- I got one of the reasons why I tell you not to say anything that could get you fired. Right. Is because I don't have the technical know-how right. to erase it. Right. But um, that's also I, that's a that's a great thing, Sam. Also, uh, about this that you're doing and and that's so important is um because we are so many of us in quote competition unquote with each other to be a puzzle piece for a puzzle right that is a show a director has the puzzle the puzzle in front of them and we're all in competition and so to do something like this so that we make sure that we're building each other up and we are creating, continuing to create community community in Denver, which yeah. is in, in the the Denver theater community is so fantastic, and um, there's not a lot of bullshit that happens. There's not a lot of cutthroat stuff that goes on, you know. But as it continues to grow, and as more and more talent comes in, mm-hmm. it's going to be incumbent upon those of us who have been here for a while to continue fostering this sense of community and so and so you doing a podcast and having this out here is a is is a great step in that direction more than a step and we're so happy that we could be here yeah thank you i'm I'm, honestly everyone that says yes is a huge honor it means a lot to me that you at the very least um respect what it is i'm i'm trying to do you get it yeah. So that means a lot. So yeah. thank you. You're welcome, man. Um, before we go, we sign off, as always, with our, our question of how you would leave the ghost light on for somebody. What's your, what's that piece of advice you wish you had gotten in third grade and junior high before that first competition? Fuck. Um, <laughs> in a very real way, it would be don't fucking worry about it. Mm. Period. You know, uh, we we get again. It goes back to worrying. I think a lot of us, our main worry is what something is gonna quote unquote look like, or what it's gonna look like to other people. Um, and you know, there's this story about Burton when he was doing Hamlet, and one of the actors was backstage, and they caught him, and he was behind the curtain. He was peeking through the curtain mm-hmm. before. Uh, before the show and just going fuck you 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 and the actor was like what do you think you're doing what what's going on and he's like I'm telling every audience member to fuck off because I don't want them in my head 
And so this idea to not worry about what the audience is going to think of you. Of, of course that doesn't mean you don't revere the audience. Of course that doesn't yeah. mean you don't respect the audience. Of course that doesn't mean that you are not pleased as punch for them to be there with you on that night. But don't fucking worry about it. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to make them feel something. Somebody might have just gotten fired from their job. Somebody might have just gotten engaged. Somebody might have lost a whole ton of money. Somebody might be stuck on their dead grandmother for the last two weeks. That's what they're bringing in. You can't change that as an actor. All you can do is hit your mark and tell the truth. That's true. I'm going to keep it short and simple. I wish someone had told me not to take myself so damn seriously and to just open my heart. Mm. Yeah. Boom. I mean, I think both are right on the money. It's, it, but that, that shit takes time. It does. It does. It's exactly. a great question. It's a great question to ask. Yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen, once again, the people are Andrew and Kelly Ewanhop. They are fantastic actors in town. Um, before I start the whole sign-off thing, what do you got to pimp you to? What's coming up next? <laughs> Not a fucking thing. Mm. For the first time in years, and this is so lucky, mm. for the first time, as long as I can remember, I have nothing lined up. And so how beautiful is that, that I can say I have been on a stretch that I've always had something lined up. How fucking fortunate is that, that I've been able to work like that. And it's very, very wonderful to have absolutely nothing. I got nothing lined up. At the end of April, I'm going to do a stage reading with Theodore Orr of a play called Rahala's Wedding. Mm. And that's uh, three nights only. And then it's going to be at the JCC. And then in October, November, I will be one of three women in David Mamet's Boston marriage Mm. over at Vintage. And it's going to be fucking hilarious. It probably will be very funny. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. It'll be great. That's fantastic. People get the tickets for Boston marriage. Go Mm -hmm. check out her reading. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you... uh, Want to hang out with Andrew? I think he's Netflix and chilling by himself. We're gonna be in the backyard wow, with the dogs. Actually, you know what? I would love to plug is my my Monday thing on Facebook. Every Monday, I do something called a day just like this, mm. where I ask, I put it out there. What's an object? And the first answer I take, and then I do also whatever the weather that day was, and I do an improv as quickly as I can so that I don't get in my own way. And then don't edit it at all except for a fade in and a fade out. And then I throw it up on, on Facebook. And nice. it's a way that I am trying to stay creative but also to continue to shut the inner critic off. Because, you know, I don't I just take whatever is given to me and run with it. And they haven't all, I've done five or six of them, and they're not all going to be gems, that's for damn sure. <laughs> um, but they're always interesting. But they're, And they're, they're fun to do. And so uh, every Monday on my Facebook page, uh, a day just like this nice. is, uh, is the short film project that I will be doing. Indefinitely. Indefinitely. That's fantastic. And then I follow that. Get sure. on Facebook. Follow yeah. them, man. Like it. Yeah. Give them, give them a, a. Do they retweet on Facebook? I don't know if they. Tw- I, don't I don't know. know. I don't even know anymore. I don't even um, know anymore. This is Sam Gilstrap. It is the Ghost Lights podcast. 
Follow us on Podbean and iTunes. Please, I need you in my life. And uh, we want to help the community grow. So that's how you can do that. Tell your friends. The song is War by the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. This is just day two of the Spring Break Bonanza. Ah, oh, it's too low again. I did the horn again, and it wasn't there. Folks, this is live. Whimsy. Whimsy. <laughs> it looks like a refrigerator. It is. Oh, whammy. Forsooth, my liege. Yes. Take me there. <laughs> <laughs>